All right, welcome back to the Casey Adams Show. Today I am joined by Isa Amami, a new friend of mine, and I'm very excited to have you on the show today, Isa. Hi, how you doing? Doing great, man. Thanks so much for being here. I'm excited to be here, man. So, this is so you, uh, you came in from Calgary, is that right? Calgary, Alberta. Yeah. Got it. And uh, you're here in Los Angeles. Appreciate yeah. you being here. You know, we got connected through a mutual friend, and when I first met you, right away I just saw like, okay, this guy is someone that's transparent, authentic, gets to the point and instantly just vibe with you from one entrepreneur to another. And, you know, I, I remember seeing the video that Brendan uh, and you guys created probably over a year ago yep. and yep. hearing your story gave me the chills at one point and, and we'll dive deep into it today. But for those that may not know your story, you're an incredible stock trader. You, you come from very, very humble beginnings. You've dealt with a lot of hardships in your life. Um, where do you spend your time today? Just before we dive into all things that you do. Where do I spend my time? Yeah. Where do you spend your time today? What do your day to day look like? My day to day right now is probably as relaxed as it gets, man. It's, <laughs> um, a lot of it is spent doing what I love. And I, and I always speak about this. Like you, you kind of don't want to ever retire from anything. You kind of just want to always be active in the things that you're passionate about, right? And for me, that's been flying, flying airplanes, playing as a drummer or pro drummer around the world when I get opportunities to go and do that. Yep. And then, you know, side by side of trade, like I don't really trade full time anymore because yeah. as you get bigger, you know, bigger places, bigger capital, bigger investments, you know, diversification makes sense and you yep. want to start, you know, more so hedging your bets against the money you've got. So I like to spend more of my time just passing what I've done onto other people. And I, yeah. you know, I never preach it as this is what you have to do, but this is what I do. And, yeah. and if you want, listen, and, and maybe it'll help you as well. That's great. Yeah. When it comes to flying, so how often are you flying now? Um, it depends. It really depends on how much I want to fly. Right now, as it stands, um, I fly as a captain on a 737 MAX up in oh, Calgary, wow. Alberta. Yeah, it's uh, wow. exciting. Yeah. It's so what's a 737 MAX for those that may not yeah, know? Yeah, so I mean, that was the one with the scandal. Remember the Boeing got shut down? Yeah, for yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that's the one I'm on right now. Wow. Um, the issue's been fixed. Whoever needs to listen, <laughs> it's, it's been fixed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's a 189 passenger uh, configuration uh, flying all across North America. And uh, we have appetite to go into Mexico soon. I think Hawaii soon as well. Wow. A little bit of Europe. So yeah, it's, it's got a good range to it at... Uh, ticks the box for being in a disciplined environment, but also, um, you know, having the chance to also be part of leadership while learning and helping other people grow as well. Like it's a weird thing, right? Because everybody in that role in flying is also looking to grow into respective promotions as well. So there's a growth aspect to that day to day. Wow. So commercial planes. So how long have you been doing that now? Uh, Well, dude, I started flying when I was 15, side by side of high school. So what am I at? 33 now? So 18. Well, <laughs> I, I love all things aviation. Like my, one of my good friends, which is best friends, uh, he has a YouTube channel called JR Garage. Cool. Um, and they made a spinoff of it called JR Aviation. And pretty much when I first met Jeff, we were I was 16. He was 17. He bought his first Lamborghini when he was in high school, completely self-made. And he's just been flipping cars over the past 10, 15 years since he was like eight years old. And then they eventually flipped up into a plane. They got a Cessna or Bonanza. I don't want to misspeak. Um, but now they've been doing this a little bit and they're yeah. in the process of getting their license. And um, my buddy Owen, he's like one of the youngest, I think he was the youngest Gulfstream pilot in the cool. world at one point. Um, 
and he we flew on one of their planes from here to Arizona, and you know he's telling me everything about the cockpit and everything, and yeah. just all things aviation are so interesting to me. So I totally get why you know you fell in love at fifteen and yeah. just went all into the commercial level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was uh, it was actually you know what man I fell in love with it when I was way younger too. I was four and a half, five years old. Wow, I knew I wanted to do it right. Um, it, it was like that because yeah. it's 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 actually crazy to say that I haven't yeah. really met too many people that are like at. Four, year, four years old, five years old, yeah. I saw something, I want to do that, I did it. Like, that's very rare. Well, the irony is at, at four and a half, five, I didn't <laughs> know that I wanted a lot of money in my life, but I knew yeah. I wanted to fly airplanes and, yeah. and play drums. Those, those, those two things were really important to me. I don't know, it's passion, just yeah. something about it. So, yeah, I, I guess I'm a bit of a kid at heart still. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing it. Yeah, totally. it's kind of cool. No, that's very cool. So, so drumming, talk to me about the drumming um, in your life, and you were just recently on a, on a tour. You said, "Yep." Where did that passion stem from? Were your parents musical? Did they grow up playing instruments, yeah. or how did this come into your life? Yeah, good question. Um, I no, we had no musicians really that I know of in our family. So, um, my mom, when we when we first went to Sweden, she was looking to find a way for me to sort of, you know, how do I word this? Learn skills that Western kids have, right? Because we immigrated as Persian Turkish people into Sweden for the, you know, for the first time in my life, obviously yeah. in their lives. Um, so they wanted me to sort of step away into a developed way of being. And, and her uh, position was go and learn the keyboard. So she forced me to go and learn piano and keyboards, yeah. but, which I still play, but unofficially. Yeah. Um, but I found that there was something about when I was picking up the rhythm and playing keyboards and piano that I was more interested in just the discipline of staying on beat discipline on having a rhythm to how you play music. Um, so I transitioned to <laughs> pots and like uh, <laughs> plates or whatever they say, right? Um, and uh, yeah, and then I just I had a passion for just playing drums or, or just yeah. you know grabbing pens and going nuts on pots and pans. And um, that transitioned to my first mini little kit at six years old. It was like a little plastic kit wow. you get from Toys R Us, yeah. um, just jamming out to music. And yeah, here wow. we are today. I mean, it, the story of how I got here with music too is also a little bit interesting. But yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, all sort of interconnected. For sure. So, yeah. so the, the music side, was that always consistent in your life from, you know, gaining success, stock trading and, the, you know, coming, moving to Canada was drum or drum was drumming always a part of that journey or did you ever take time off or how did, how did it build up to the point when now you're, you're doing tours with people and, you know, a part of things yeah. that are obviously on the road and they need you and you're part of this team. Yeah. Um, a lot of it was right place, right time. I, I think there was, I, I don't even think there was definitely an element of luck. I think of being at being in the right place. Cause what was is I started flying at 15 and then when I came into fully being licensed at 18 years of age, side by side of high school being graduated, um, nobody was hiring. Okay. So it was a 2008 financial crisis, right? Uh, so and you're going in, you're leaving high school. Today. Yeah. So I'm done yeah. at 18. Right. So yep. the 2008 financial crisis, nobody's hiring pilots. The industry slowed down, yeah. everything slowed down. Right. Um, but ironically w what seems to happen is when people aren't, busy making money or busy working they have time for entertainment and going to pubs and watching bands yeah. and you know you know how that yeah, goes right like that sure. side always you know spikes up so yeah. the time I was living in Vancouver Canada and uh, I got super fortunate it was a Craigslist ad okay <laughs> go okay. from this a Craigslist ad was looking to uh, uh, audition a drummer for a opening act for a major singer so we were gonna be an opening band for a major singer, which I didn't know who it was at the time. Okay. Right? Um, so I go and, <laughs> yeah, so I go and show up thinking I'm totally going to bomb this, right? Like, what are the odds I'm going to get the part? And it was so 
organic when I showed up. The guys, the name of the band was Kilmer Place. The, the guys were so just relaxed, you know, chill. They let me be in my element. They kind of gave me some pointers on, hey, we want you to play this part this way, that part that way. Yeah. Picked it up right away, and I became the drummer. And then in <laughs> 2009, we went on to, yeah, we went on to um, be one of the opening acts uh, for Headley's tour at wow. the Drenched Fest 09 uh, <laughs> Festival in Calgary, Alberta, and we were the opening band for that. So wow. that's so then right place, right time, right re- networks, right connections. Yeah, uh, that led to the next thing, led to the next thing, and then today, I guess we're we're talking about touring and and doing that when I get time and when I make yeah. time for it as well. That is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, when that happened, like, what were some of the uh, the goals with that? Right, like we uh, when you think about your career as a musician, right? Is it, okay, I want, let's do this tour, world tour, small small band. Like, what were you and the, the group thinking in terms of um, just the future of it? I think it's always so interesting, especially from the music side. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've had some musicians on the show and you know, some people are just like, yeah, I'm just playing my music. And then one day, boom, this big moment happened. Or some people are like, hey, I want to be the biggest in the world. Like, what was it for you guys in terms of the, the ambitions for that as a group? You know, I think... Um the, the biggest thing for us was we wanted to speak the truth to what people were feeling at the time and expressing that through music, right? And this is 2009, you said. 2009, yeah. so people have been decimated, right? And you don't, I mean, not that you need to sing about financial crises, but what it is is you're speaking to the emotions, the feelings, the, you know, the, the, the family, com, you know, causations that come yeah. from it, divorces, breakups, you know, heartbreak, et cetera, right? So, so we were pulling from a lot of inspiration from people around us, and it was just naturally coming into powerful music that was just getting attention and getting attention and moving up and moving up. And, you know, it's, it's funny, as we get into our, our chat more, you'll, you'll probably find this out too, is um, I had a fork in the road with music and flying that came up shortly after we started getting buzz in, in Vancouver. Because yeah. if, if you dropped our band name in Vancouver, people knew who we were. <laughs> they, so cool. they would show up yeah. to our shows because it was kind of a, a beginning for us. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then when I got the chance to go flying, which happened in basically second quarter of 2009, um, I... I, I, I basically had a choice of fear or faith in my life. Do I just lead into the band thing that yeah. who knows if it's going to be the next thing for me or do I go into the safe and secure thing, which was aviation. And that's where I leaned, which eventually brought about the stock trading in my life because I learned some of the best lessons around trying to make safe decisions. Interesting. I, it's, it's so interesting to hear you end on that point about safe decisions. And I'm curious, what does that mean as someone that, got into stock trading pilot who has to be the safest. Yep. Like that is the safest profession <laughs> right? in the world. Yep. Um, at least how I view it in terms of you are literally handling lives, mm-hmm. flying an object 30,000 feet in the air. Yeah. Um, how does that correlate to the stock market and the thinking? I think that's a great topic to dive into. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I'm going to try to, I think the right answer will come about in a roundabout way. So safety to me. Okay. And a lot of times is, ensuring that you're not bound by limitations that you're not aware of. So what I mean by that is you can train anything or anyone in a finite controlled environment right? yeah. and, and call that safe, right? Yeah. This is safe, sure. right? Um, but put them outside of that environment, put them inside of that box that they're used to, and they are in a very uncomfortable environment and they might perceive that it's not safe, even though it's still very safe, right? So, yeah. so one of the things that I've always been a, a very interested individual like in is that, like, you know, 
where truly does the limitation lie if you keep expanding knowledge and experience in the thing that you do? And if you keep getting more knowledgeable and understand as to the hows and the whys things work the way they do, then effectively where the boundaries of safety exist are going to be expanded like, like an elastic, yeah. right? Now, there is, I called it an elastic because you can't... You can break. Exactly. You can't also disrespect the fact that there is a very real aspect to the decisions you make where reality can also you know, for lack of better terms, flounder if you don't yeah. make the right moves. So it's, it's, it's a weird answer, I know, but yeah, no, it's, I hope it's starting to sort of open up an interesting topic on very, where absolutely. Go with this. <laughs> very much so. Yeah. So even to, to pivot a little bit, but stock trading, right? Yeah. Like growing up, I think we could all say you're aware of the stock market, especially in the world of business, entrepreneurship. For you, what was it that led you to wanting to A, learn the stock market, of course, being able to make money, yeah. um, but who were some like, did you have influential figures in your life that said, hey, go learn the stock market? Or were you just attracted to it through uh, just studying and diving in yourself? Or how did that interest peak? Yeah. And what led you to really diving deep and pursuing it as a, not only a career, but a way to make money and provide for yourself? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a flashback, and I'll, I'll bring you forward yeah. to how I got there, right? So I lost my father um, our second week immigrating to Canada. So, yeah. so um, 13, yeah, so I was 13 years old. I got to see <sighs> wow, what, man. you know, what it looks like when a breadwinner uh, passes away. And, yeah. you know, the struggles that my mother and I had to go effectively go through um, to make it, right? So remember when I said with the music thing, I made a decision out of safety to go down a safe and, you know, predictable career as opposed to pursuing, you know, the thing I really, really was loving and jiving with, right? I love aviation, but... Can you pull this a little bit? Yeah, closer? sorry, I'll pull this there closer, yeah. So, but with, with aviation, what it was, man, is I went into it. And as much as I love the day-to-day of it, flying airplanes, there was this toxic um, corporate uh, mantra, like a, like a old man's club almost, that Mm -hmm. if you're not a part of that, good luck. Like, and it doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter. You could be one of the best guys in the industry. I'm curious. So you're saying like, pilots at the highest level, it's very like closed off-ish in a sense? It's a very, it's, um... Yeah, it's a club, Got for lack it. of better terms, right? If you're in the club, you will get advances in this career, and yeah. you will get to the highest of levels in this career. And, and, and yeah. real quick, just to learn more about that, what does that mean in aviation? Is that longer routes, more consistent routes, different airlines? I, I mean, think what, what it means is the, be- the, best, the best career spots Got it. are usually, I'm not going to say always, but yeah. most times than not, it is off the back of who you know and and sort of what relationships you have, of right? Networking, and, yeah. I, and I will never say that's a bad thing, but that is very much what the industry is. Yeah. Now, alongside that, what the industry also is, is it's heavily bred by fear, right? Like, they train pilots to effectively fear their own shadows. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. When we make a decision, right, in our training, we're trained to, th- to question our, the very decision that we just made <laughs> yeah. to make sure we have the best decision in 30 seconds from now, right? So... It creates a constant mindset of skepticism. Now, imagine operating in that space and trying to be in an expansive mindset where you're trying to do things maybe a little bit better or, or introduce newer ideas that might yeah. be a little bit more, you know, a bit of a change to how things yeah. used to be. You run into a lot of resistance, right? Absolutely. And, and I started seeing that from my personality style as much as I love flying. I love the disciplines and I love a lot of the old rules of why things are the way they are with flying. Growth for me and the way that I was outspoken about a lot of things and didn't hold back, um, it may have meant that I might not get to the best safe career 
spot in my in, in my flying career, yeah. um, which would mean income issues, probably not being always in the best spots. And still, even if you get to the best spot in aviation, um, somebody still owns you. So yeah. to me, that was that was enough to like, you know what? I experienced the financial setback in my teenage years. I don't want that. And I looked to where the wealthiest hang out. And with absolute consistency, it always came back to the stock market. Doesn't matter. Real estate, yeah. they're always still vested in the markets. <laughs> yeah. So that's, yeah. that's what brought me into the stock market. Yeah. Got it. Absolutely. Yeah. So what was the the first step to pursuing that in terms of like you're seeing where, you know, these wealthy people are hanging out, you yeah. want to get out of aviation. What does that mean for you in your journey? How old were you when you said, okay, I want to go learn this and I want to go commit to this. Yeah. And what were some of the early beginnings of that in terms of, you know, investing your own money? What was the strategy? What were you investing in? Yeah. Um, yeah. And how did that change over time? Yeah. So, you know, everything you hear is long-term holds, long-term holds, buy and, you know, you know, compound invest. Yeah. The best basically well, interest rates over and over years is going to make you rich, right? So, so me thinking that that's the right way to go about it is I looked at the interest rates at the time. This is around 20 years old. So we're looking 2010, 2011, yeah. right? So I looked at the interest rates. I'm like, okay, a line of credit will cost me X amount. And it was less than what the average rate of return to market was, especially out of the 2008 financial crisis. So yeah, why don't I just, you know, take a line of credit out from yeah. the bank? Because I have no money, right? I was starting out. Um, and I'm just going to put it into long-term holds. And I did that. And, you know, there was some success to it, but not life-changing money. Like the, mm. the, the money was going to compound over 30, 40 years, yeah. right? Which is a, to me is a really long runway to find out if you're going to make it. And, and yeah. probably if you think, if you go back and look at 2011, 12, it was sort of around the same time where, um, instant gratification was also very much on the rise as we see now in, in, yeah. in 2023, as you and I yeah. talk, and this is now the thing, right? Yeah. So there was probably an element of that where I'm like, you know what, this isn't good enough. Right. And, and I, and I want to, and I want to have fast results. So then I said, you know what, um, let's put the long-term hold aside and I'm going to go and trade. And with trading, I was naively of the belief that if I just draw some lines on charts, and just, <laughs> you know, what yeah, you, what you read in books, right? Yeah. Literally, like, you know, if you, if you read most of these trade, trading for dummies books, that's what yep. it is. Draw lines, patterns this, patterns <laughs> that. I thought that that was going to be my pathway to, to being rich. And it was naive. And I found yeah. out later on as I almost blew through most of my credit line wow. that, that that was not the way this was going to work. Um, yeah. So that's how I got started. Wow. Yeah. So what was, how long, I should say, how long was it for you um, before you really experienced that first win trading. And cause then you knew, obviously yeah. you still always have ups and downs as an experienced trader, I'm sure. Yeah. But for you, when was that moment? And maybe it wasn't a moment, but was there anything that you can reflect on and think, wow, like it was that time that I had this, this win that gave me the confidence that I was moving in the right direction or yeah. how did that look in your life? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really good question. So what it was is it, it was in the beginning when I started, I got really lucky. Right. So like I, I put my money in, this is 2012 yeah. roughly. Yeah. So <laughs> the, it was effortless yeah, and, I, and, sure. and the patterns, they worked. Yeah, <laughs> the, everyone's, the, everyone's a genius. In right. The, in the a, lines a bowl, worked. Right. right? And yeah. the lines worked. So, so I, I followed the lines for yeah. lack of better terms. And then, then I got decimated thereafter. And I, and you know, it was, yeah, it was in the decimation where I was like, what happened? And then you start doubting yourself with yeah. luck. With it's the standard rhetoric that most people go through when they dabble, not yeah. knowing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
That's incredible. So yeah. as you're learning this trade, I remember you saying um, like four or five years you're in it. Throughout that process, were you still flying or was that completely yeah. shut off? No, 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 I was flying. Okay. So this is, yeah, so you got to look at this. The, the good thing with flying is you could pick PM, AM schedules yeah. usually, right? So I would try to pick, you know, the PM schedules so I could wake up in the morning and, and okay. trade, trade, trade. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? For Feel sure. cool. I don't yeah. know what it was, right? <laughs> um, and it was naive. I will still call it naive and we'll get into why later on, I'm sure. But yeah, I would try to pick the PM uh, routes so I could work, you know, show up to work around 4 p.m., 5 p.m. Eastern equivalent yeah. and, and have had all this time to, you know, make my own fortune, I guess, Got before it. that. Yeah. Why, why was that naive? It sounds like a good idea. You fly at night, you're trading <laughs> all day, right? Yeah, I think, I think where, where it's naive is, is the concept to think that I, that I had actually believed that, you know, some indicators were drawing lines, uh, <laughs> for lack of better terms, you know, color, color painting charts yeah. was, um, was a secret to success. And, and it wasn't until later on uh, where I learned, you know, when I understood that I'm being naive and I have to actually learn how this works, uh, where I started seeing it for what it is and, and seeing why, you know, 90, 95%, that's the stat, right? Why people get wiped out and understanding and getting obsessed about that and learning the behind the scenes more, which is what, what led to the success. Got it. Yeah. What, so for people that are like just, let's say, getting in the market today, what... What is that, right? When you say getting by, like understanding behind the scenes and really getting a grasp on the market, like what what are some key tips that you could reference from the knowledge you've gained over the years of being yeah. a trader that you would want to? Of course, this isn't this isn't financial um, advice. Yeah. But when yeah. it comes to just yeah. your personal experience, what have you learned throughout these years that you believe have given you an edge and have actually made you confident as an investor? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with a very philosophical thing, and yeah. then we'll dive into more Absolutely. details. So, what I want. What I want everyone to understand is that if 90%, which is the stat, of people consistently blow their account when they self-direct money, there's a beautiful consistency in that, isn't there? <laughs> so there is yeah. a consistency in why that is. So if just on a philosophical level, we can just speak, if you get obsessed about why that is, you're in the winning side, mm. right? So. Yeah. Don't say the market's rigged. Like, don't actually put that into your mindset and believe it and lock it down. Understand why the market moves the way it does, right? So if the why is answered, thereby comes the success. So that's the first thing I'll say is, is have the, the courage to actually ask that question and go after it. The second thing is you need to understand, like, who owns the stock market. And it comes down to institutions. These are what they're called market makers, right? So yep. these market makers, they own inventory of stock, right? And when you own an inventory of stock, you effectively control what happens to the price <laughs> of that because you can create emotions in people. Think about the absolute basics of money. People will run for anything money-related, right? They will hustle for money, right? So yeah. if, if we can create an emotion in you to make you think that you're going to make money, then you're going to put your money in yeah. at the absolute wrong time. Yeah. And then as the market maker, I've got an order flow ready right behind that yeah. to take you out and move on without you. Right. Yeah. So to the upside or downside, honestly. Right. Yeah. So, so you got to get really, really good at understanding market makers, why they do what they do, how they think and what risks and liabilities they incur by owning, by owning stock as well. And then once you get good at that and you understand how that works, <laughs> it really comes down to, I mean, my favorite personally is I love getting into 
uh, SEC legal filings, right? Now, this isn't exciting by any means, <laughs> but I think making money yeah. at a high level, at any level, you need to be good at the details, right? Yeah. So, so the SEC filings, these are required filings by public companies. Yeah. They have to disclose what they're up to. And you'd be surprised that most of the, you know, uh, money activity that people, you know, they put their money into these stocks that are just the penny stocks, five, 10, $15 yeah. stocks with the hopes of it being worth four or 500 bucks a share one day. Yeah. The amount of honest, you know, absolute truth that these companies put out that this company likely is going to fail <laughs> is next level. But it goes yeah. blindsided because nobody Don't wants to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody wants to do unpopular work, right? Yeah. And the last piece of advice, I mean, there's a lot, I'll give you a ton of advice, but we don't have so much yeah, time today, but um, is I never marry an idea mm. anymore. I used to think, oh, this is, this is going to be the next thing. Like, I mean, this, yeah. look, look at the time we're in 2023. I'm, I'm sure people are probably talking a lot of lithium batteries. That's a big thing, yeah. right? They're playing those plays. Um, AI related things, right? Yep. But NVIDIA. NVIDIA. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, I don't care. I don't care what the fat is. What I care about is how the money flows and ebbs and flows, I should say, in response to what people think the next fad is. Mm. That's where the money is made. It's not in buying something at five and scoring it at 500 bucks a share. Yeah. That's not where the money is. Yeah. Very cool. I mean, we could dive into that. Yeah, we could get into sure. it. Yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I want to pivot because you said something that I, yeah. I want to reference because I, I haven't dealt with this and I think, you know, people can learn from it. You, you talked about in, in, when I first watched that video, uh, that I referenced at the beginning, you talked about losing your father when you were 13. Yeah. And I know you brought it up as well. How did that affect you? You know, being 13, I can't even imagine dealing with that. And, and yep. quite frankly, you know, I'm, my parents are young. They're in their mid-50s, relatively right, young. Yeah. Um, that's something that I just can't, it's hard to really comprehend. And people that have lost their parents, and I know it's inevitable. Um, I always learn personally through that experience. So however in depth you want to go, but I'm just so curious to know how that yeah. impacted you being 13, you're stepping into this role as a man and you're, you know, you're, you're really having to grow up quickly yep. as a young man. So like, take us back to that time in your life and yeah. how it affected you. Yeah. Um, mass confusion. Let's start with that. I think, you, you know, obviously I think in my case, at least my father was the closest person to my life, you know? Yeah. So um, when you, when you think of a rock that you lean on, right, that was him for me. Right. Um, so to lose that, it, it kind of shocked me to the effect of how is this even possible? Like how can such a thing be at such a young age? Cause I was conscious yeah. enough to know that this is really early. Like this shouldn't have happened because he was yeah. only 44 too. Wow. So on top of that. Right. Um, so that was the, f the first thing. The second thing that happened and affected, I think me, was as and as you would expect any teenager or probably any human being is with pain my immediate response was escape i don't want to deal with it yeah. i don't want to go through that pain right yeah. and and the, and the problem with that and that's something that you know finally now at this point in my life i'm, I'm working on is for me my my escape became like just eating food like crazy man like that was my escape right for some kids it might be alcohol it might be something else right and so, so what ended up happening is I ended up getting extremely unhealthy as a result of that, right? Because I wasn't willing to deal with the pain. Stubbornly, don't want to accept the fact that it's really happened, right? So what ended up happening, though, is when I started seeing the fact that, okay, putting effort into my music career and, and flying career led to such fast successes, there was almost like, I don't even know where this was communicated 
to me. It was <laughs> an intrinsically, it was, a, I don't yeah. know what it was, but it's like, Hey, so like, if you, if you put effort into what you do <laughs> in life, you might actually have a shot at this regardless of your dad not being around. Right. And, and not showing you the ropes. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it opened up a completely different relationship with life and, and learning to believe that things maybe do happen for a reason. And, and, and the reasons are actually ironically masked as gifts to get you to hustle and get going and achieve your um, triumphs in life, you know? So I, I will always look at my father's passing as the catalyst as to why I'm sitting today wow. in this position so young and so early in my life, right? Now, I also think age might be, a, 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 you know, maybe a controversial topic. <laughs> I've already got whites at 33, <laughs> so maybe I age faster yeah. in other ways. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. but you know what, man, I've... I'm here today, and if it wasn't that inspiration of, wow, this is how quickly something can happen and, and you know, flip upside down your life, I probably wouldn't have had this much um, inspiration and, and drive. Yeah, wow. I yeah. appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, so that's how it impacted me. Absolutely. No, it, it's, I think what you said about, like, masking this, uh, the hardship or, you know, dealing with something is this sort of fuel that you'll learn later in life. It's, I think I told you this when we first connected, but... When I was 16, I was almost paralyzed playing football. Yep. I was in a neck brace for six months. Just yep. It was one of those times where, you know, one day I wake up, young kid, naive, just the world is yours, go play football. Yeah. Um, to then never play football again in your life. You have to be in this neck brace for six months. Identity's ripped away from you, and that could be, you know, from a sense of parents as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and your whole world flips upside down. And for me, more of a, you know, neck injury and just not being able to do things looking back and, and I still, and I brought this up to a friend recently. I'm like, if that didn't happen, I really have no clue what I would be doing yeah. or why I would be doing it. And, you know, now that I can lean into this story so strongly of like the pivoting point in my life yeah. or when I found drive and I was able to find, like really dig deep. It's crazy how those moments happen in life. And over the course of the six years, I've had this podcast, right? Four or 500 interviews. You find that over and over and over again to the point where I'm like, you know, Everyone reflects on these times, yeah. but on the flip side, so many people are afraid of those times yeah. of, you know, going through something so painful. And of course it sucks in the moment, but then on the flip side, I, I interviewed this guy, Jesse, Jesse Israel, and he says, you know, it's hard to talk about your wounds when you haven't healed from them, mm-hmm. right? From ne- neck brace, passing. Yep. But then when you do, those are the most incredible stories, yeah. right? And it's, you know, it's very cliche to say that but it's so real and so true um and outside of that moment in your life like are there any other maybe we can sort of pivot to like the business conversations like business triumphs that you've had to overcome um that have really made you the man you are today that you can reflect on and say hey like this is a business one-on-one lesson that i learned (laughs) the hard way that i would want someone to not you know go through if i had to give them a piece of advice um well listen dude i i think you got to understand when you come into the space that I've come into, because I mean, the space that I'm in effectively on a business side mainly is teaching what I've learned in the markets, right? So yeah. you're dealing with nothing but skepticism all the time, <laughs> right? So yeah. you're paid as the business owner is how do I prove to people that I'm here to help first and business second? This is the hardest thing to do because what ends up happening is you end up, you know, you end up almost attracting, um, mindsets that that are looking for a handout in life and i know so much that life ain't about handouts because if there was a handout 
I was waiting for one, I guess. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. Right. But, but the triumph ain't in the handout. The triumph is actually in facing that pain and going through the pain and getting to yeah. the other side. So the business um, sort of lesson one one I've got with this is like the number one way to, to break any sort of skepticism, gain trust of a consumer base that, you know, um, and in the case of a stock market is always looking for skepticism, yeah. like my pilot friends, you know, sure. the industry <laughs> I'm used to, right. Um, is, you have to be willing as a business owner to not be chasing money, right? Like yeah. if, if money is the reason you're, you're in it, you're going to find everything becomes a trade with everyone, right? Yeah. And what I started focusing on with my approach with teaching what I've done in the stock market and, and help, helping people see the market for what it is, is lead with nothing but absolute value that's going to help them up front, Zero yeah. commitment. My whole thing to people is, you know what? You've got zero commitment to me to give me anything beyond <laughs> two seconds of attention, right? Yeah. But if you give me a minute, I'll help you see something just a little bit better. Yeah. And that's going to start a new journey for you if you fall into it and go into it full on, right? Yeah. So leading with that value, if you approach your business, whatever that is, with that, yeah. with that mindset and understand that people ha are always self-motivated, Help them with their motivations and they will want to be around you and take advice from you and hopefully get help from you. And if you have the solution for the specific problem they've got, then off you go. You can, it's a perfect match. They already trust yeah. you because they know <laughs> that you've got what it is. And if I can just expand for a minute on this yeah, one please. thing, you know, one of the things like in, in my, uh, in my program, we help people learn the stock market. One of the things we lead with is we say, listen, you can't even buy anything. There's nothing for you to buy. You have about 15 hours of free material that you have to get through. You have to get through it <laughs> because you need to see that you can do this. Yeah. Let, put aside all the claims out there of what's possible. Let's yeah. just forget about that for a second. Can you see what ISA sees, right? Can yeah. you learn that? Because if you can see it, then you now have the belief that, that this is something viable they can go after, right? And we do it intentionally for free because I want you to see that there is a path in front of you here if you are willing to put in the work. Where most That's people great. do, they do something different. They yeah. charge you up front, I, right? Totally. <laughs> and then yeah. let's figure out if you're interested yeah. in those, right? So I love that. Approach. I don't know. Hopefully that makes sense yeah, and no, answers your question. I, yeah. I think it's spot on, right? It's like leading with not only the value, but you have to get someone to a place where they understand it to then make it even worth that investment to them. Yeah. Right? And it's so interesting. When I think about the word skepticism, I think it's such a double-edged sword in, in this world where yeah. I look at a lot of my early successes and just sort of what got me out of this small town thinking coming from a small town in Virginia, you know, I, I didn't fly on a plane until I was 16 years old and I bought the plane ticket myself. And it was my curiosity and the ability to sort of not fall into the skepticism of like how it won't work. Right. But just leaning all in on, but what if it does? Mm -hmm. And I think that of course that can bite you and they can, things can go wrong in all aspects of business. But when I was, and I've reflected on my journey, 15, 16, you know, it's the, the unknown that is so exciting, which, you know, I always talk about this idea of leaning into your curiosity. And when I interviewed Larry King, that was one of the, just the lessons that he tried to instill it throughout his entire life is just remain curious in every conversation, right? He talks about this idea of being a listener yeah. and he says, I've never learned anything while I was talking. Yeah. And I think some of the early days when I was sitting in my bedroom on my neck brace, just looking at my phone, falling into these different rabbit holes on YouTube. It was that 
curiosity that I could have been a skeptic. Oh, young kid, naive. Oh, like, no, I'm not going to click on that ad. Yeah. No, I'm not going to yeah. pick up, buy a book that this guy tells me to do. Why would I do that? Like, and it's, those are the people that actually are just digging themselves a hole. And to be able to see it from the other side, you might, you know, you have to fail forward. Yeah. Um, and of course, hoping that, you know, you're, you're putting yourself in a position to be around great people and people that have good intentions and, you know, it's up to you to decide that. But I love how you said that because I think it's so easy to be skeptic, but actually putting in the work and learning first about anything, opportunities or a new trade, whatever it may be, is, is what you must focus on first. I'll tell you, man, uncertainty for me in my life, first, sorry, in my life personally, um, uncertainty has brought me more peace and gratitude than ch chasing yeah. any path of certainty. I'm, I'm telling you this. This is like, it's it's a weird oxymoron when you think about it because you'd think that, again, we'll go back to that safety thing, that the right thing to do is the safe thing, right? But the mm. safety is only a figment of your illusion and what you think is possible. Yeah. So yeah, skepticism absolutely. is in that thing because it's yeah. only what you think is possible. It ain't what reality is. <laughs> it's just what you think is possible, right? Yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a challenge, I think, in a way to to have the guts to go into an uncertain path. And ironically, any of the business moguls and networks I have in my life today, talk to any one of them who's made it and they're seriously made it. And they're, they're way more successful than I am because of the way that they've developed, right? Yeah. Um, it's always through paths of uncertainty. Never was yeah. it a certain path. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's epic. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, there's a, I won't know the exact, I won't say the exact quote because I'll butcher it, but Alex Ramosi, he, he puts out a couple tweets recently and he's and he talked about uncertainty. He's like, the whole reason you're able to do what you have done is by chasing that uncertain path. If you were to know exactly how things played out, you wouldn't do it. Correct. And you know, he talks about like if you, if someone was to really give you um, sort of the pill of this is how you're going to feel and what you what you're going to deal with by going down this path, nine out of ten times you wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's, it's that uncertainty that allows you to be so naive yeah. to believe it's possible. And, and that goes from, you know, I remember talking with Mark Randolph, the founder of Netflix, and, you know, they're, they're putting DVs, you pick them up at the box, and just thinking that this behemoth blockbuster could have bought them for $50 million, and, you know, they're like, this is never going to work. And what do you mean? We have the biggest conglomerate of yep. DVDs. You come in here with the biggest in the world. It's that naive focus as an early stage founder that just gives you the edge yep. because you don't know what's going to happen, but you have so much self-belief that you're pursuing it with that uncertainty in mind, which is a beautiful thing. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. So in an ironic way yeah. then to sort of riff off that for a sec, like uh, the, the sort of naive approach of I'm going to be rich through the stock market was what I went into regardless <laughs> of not knowing what I was doing like yeah. in the beginning. Right. Um, I just think that where most people quit because they form a alternate belief when they lose money thinking that, oh, this is a raid, so I'm not going to ever be able to make it through this. That's where I was like, no, there's something yeah. here. There's something here. I just need to learn what that is. And that's on me. And that's not on any handout, anything. It's just me and my obsession <laughs> to figure this out. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. When it comes to obsession, uh, I love that word. Um, you know, when you were first learning flying, stock trading, what were your hours? Meaning, you know, I, I'm someone that, you know, I take my health seriously. I, I try to stay on top of it, get good sleep. Of course, there's times where you got to pull on nighters, of course. Yep. But 
I'm of the belief of if I can't operate at 100%, I'm just doing myself a disservice. But w- what were your sort of obsessed mentalities as someone yeah. that was learning new skills, developing quickly, ambitious? Because I think we can all learn from our own individual sort of obsession and how we do things and how we yeah. pursue things versus, you know, when I, just for context as well, before I, I want to hear your perspective is yep. when I first started my podcast, I was so obsessed with doing 60 interviews in 90 days. Yep. I've never done that again since that initial ramp up, but I did 60 interviews mainly online in 90 days. Cause I had this big meeting with this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk back in 2018. And I kind of set that as a goal and I just pursued it. And I was obsessed. I would get him from school do four or five interviews back to back that I scheduled on Instagram. Um, and that was sort of like an early obsessive characteristic of why I fell in love with podcasting. Right. Um, by no means do I have that same approach now. Um, but for you, what did that look like in your life early on? Okay. So let's just go back to like 15 when I was in high school. Right. So, so my days would consist of, you know, go to school and sometimes, you know, thanks mom, skip school (laughs) cause (laughs) I knew I wanted to fly. Right. Okay. So, but if we look at a typical school day, um, you know, I go to school eight to two thirty, three o'clock. And then I'm yeah. on that, like I'm darting out of school and I'm on that first bus, two hour commute to, uh, the municipal airport, which is South of two Vancouver. hour commute, two hour commute, oh my gosh. Uh, three different buses. Once we have a C bus in Vancouver. Wow. So from North Vancouver, which is where I was, right. Which is Northern part of Vancouver, all the way down to Delta at Bounder Bay airport, Southern part of the Vancouver, about two, two and a half hours sometimes. Um, I get to the airport by like five, five thirty, And most of the time, just in time, we get an hour lesson in before nighttime hits because when I wasn't licensed as a pilot, I could only fly at daytime. That was the, the first restriction is yeah. daytime <laughs> and good weather, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it was such a routine where I would do that. I would get to the airport by 5, 5.30, do what we call a, a pre-flight inspection, walk around, a weight and balance yeah. and all that stuff, fuel checks, and off we go. We'd be back by like 6.40, 7 o'clock, and most of my pilot friends watching this or peers know that usually ground school, which is the theory classes starts in the evenings in most mm-hmm. flight schools, 7 PM to 9 PM. So I would go 7 PM to 9 PM, two hour commute back. Wow. And you're in, you're in high school, you're 15. High school, 15. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, uh, 11 o'clock, I'm back. Wow. 11 to, to one, try to fit in some high school studies, <laughs> you know, like. A, I was going to say, where do you do yeah. your, uh, your stuff? Right. <laughs> one to six thirty seven sleep. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> eat horribly. I'm telling you, I yeah. did not prior good for you for prioritizing health. Cause I did not, yeah. I really did not. It wasn't until about maybe two, three years ago where I really started having a different respect for why it's important to prioritize health. And that's yeah. because I, I also discovered that, you know, I'd been hiding from some pain still from the past. Right. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm sorting that out. But the point is, yeah, that was my routine day in, day out for three years straight. So till 18 years old wow. summer, three years straight. Okay. Yeah. Getting home from school. That two was hours, it. Like four hours commuting after yeah. school. Yeah. It was wow. so obsession. You're talking about obsession, Dude, right? That is an incredible answer. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and so a lot of people say, well, then how did you make time for drumming? Well, that's why you have a bus ride. And it was me and my, you know, my iPod at the time. Yeah. Right. Remember those? <laughs> the, yeah. iPods? the shuffles. Um, yeah. And I had a little practice pad with me and I made a point trying to sit in the last seat of the bus no with my so you're sticks. drumming. I'm on working the way on to... rudiments <laughs> in the back of a bus, trying not to annoy my, the passengers. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, it's just like, this is, this is and, the routine. And this is like in. public bus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I'm trying not, you know, annoy people, but yeah. I guess I was a little bit selfish that I would have been a drummer and I would have fly. Yeah. So <laughs> this is how I'm spending my time yeah. and I make the best of it. Right. So, um, yeah, man, that's, wow. that was uh, three years of my time. Um, and then 18, that's I crazy. came out and, uh, 
yeah, it was uh, no jobs and went to drumming and wow. did that for a year and a half. And then it's crazy. Yeah. So did off. you? So you didn't go to college? Or you did? No. No college. Me no either. college. What was that period in your life? Were you someone that grew up saying, "Hey, college is in my life. I'm gonna go do that." Did that change over time, or just what was your view on college? Your upbringing view on college, and I'll tell you, I change? look at the um, I look at the top executives in the world today, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and they still have a boss, <laughs> and their boss is the board of directors. <laughs> Yeah. Right, so so the so the the highest of levels in the college path is a network that will just help you get a job. That ain't independence to me. So that wasn't yeah. the answer for me. And you I'm, knew, and that's how you thought about it early on. Yeah. So I didn't like when you say you, board of directors, companies. You were familiar with this sort of business yeah. conversation early what. on in your career. Yeah. How was that? Yeah. So, so my mom, uh, one of the fortunate, very fortunate, and I love her to death for this, um, things in my life was that my mom, she had a master's in economics and accounting. Well, so just to pause you opposite of this point of view, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. totally <laughs> like, you know, schooled up yeah. and she, her Excuse narrative me. was go to school. Yeah. You don't want it. Right. So that, um, but what it was, though, is she was so smart at, at this stuff, but mm-hmm. applying it into business, right, it was always me helping her applying it so she could <laughs> shape her own company. And she went on to create a beautiful company in the accounting and wealth management space. Great. But as a result of the help, and I don't know, I don't know what I brought. I, I, I can't even tell you where this intelligence comes from. <laughs> is it paying attention? Is it observing? Is it an observant person? But I would help her with, I think you should do this. I think you should do that. And then she would sort of massage her company. And then it went to create a really good stream of income for us to finally recover from the setback of my father passing. But to answer your question, yeah, I totally grew up in the the place of go to college and university. And I just didn't believe in it. Wow. Was that something um, like your mom wanted you to go and it was upsetting that you didn't? Or was she on board with your thinking? Well, I I, th- I don't know. I, I actually never asked her about okay. this. <laughs> but I I think at the time she was worried that I was going to do something that wasn't safe, right? That wasn't what yeah. she knew. Yeah, right? absolutely. Um, but when she saw, I think, the level of obsession associated with, you know, I've got this 15, 16 year old kid that's in the back of a bus <laughs> rudimenting it. Playing drums, right? two like, hours to a practice pad. Yeah. Like and, she, and she's yeah. letting you. And I ask this because I'm reflecting on so many memories in my life where yeah. at this point, is you're, you're in high school. Your mom's letting you take this bus two hours. Yeah. She knows you're playing drums on the way yeah. to go fly. And she's on board with that. Yeah. Was there a level of convincing that had to take place for you to get to that point? Or was she open where it's like, hey, do your yeah. thing? And I know you are passionate about this. You know, man, it never actually came up. I, I don't know. I It was as if I wasn't really a troublemaker or anything yeah. like that. Or okay. I, and I, I don't know, maybe a good compass in my head so I knew yeah. what I was doing and, you know, stranger danger maybe of somewhat. And he, like, I don't know. Um, we had been through so much by that time at 15. Yeah. That it was like you're almost a young man. Yeah. So I think there was an element of trust that, oh, hey, right. this is what you're doing, so go ahead. And yeah. She was working late hours, so it was, she couldn't that really do sense. anything for me in the sense of transportation. Um, yeah. That's, it, it's interesting to re- reflect on because I remember being 15 specifically, and you know that's really when I started immersing myself in this whole world of business and entrepreneurship and you know reading all these books on biographies and learning just how to think about money in the world. Yeah. And for me, it was ninth grade, freshman year, 
I'm playing lacrosse. I'm playing football. My my goal slash dream at that time is how can I play lacrosse at the University of Virginia UVA. You know, that's my goal. And then yeah. boom, going into sophomore year, summer, get injured playing football. Going into sophomore year, I'm in this literally neck brace at school for six weeks. It was like the last week of summer that I got injured. And through that six-week period, I'm getting home from school, immersing myself in just nothing but school work, just all things business, marketing, social media, just learning and yeah. just immersing myself in that world, being obsessed. And then by the probably midway through sophomore year, I remember telling my mom, like, oh, definitely not going to college. I'm like resenting it. I'm telling, you know, rich dad, poor dad, just yeah, bringing yeah. all these sort of facts and the knowledge that I'm reading in these books. And I remember there was this sense of, uh, like, oh, like, what is this? He's just having his, a phase, whatever it is. And then it's through that committed action that your parents start to see, like, oh, my God, this guy is not stopping. He's, yeah. um, it, so it got to the point where I was invited, um, sort of like invited myself, found opportunities online where this young kid who's now is a good friend of mine, Caleb Maddox, he was 14 at the time, which is crazy to think on. I was 15. And this guy, Caleb, he was written seven books by then. He spoke on stage with Tony Robbins. He's 14. Oh. Uh, his dad is an incredible father. It's just like really brought him up in a great environment. Yeah. And he was speaking in an event in San Diego. And long story short, I end up getting invited to speak at this event. Caleb and I connect on social. He's like, hey, you should come out to speak at this event. This is this young entrepreneurial panel. I don't know what panels are, public speaking. It's a fear of mine, but I'm excited for an opportunity. Yeah. And being someone that has never been to California, my parents haven't flown on a plane in almost 30 years since they're honeymoon um i asked my parents like hey can i go to san diego you know on a friday afternoon during school to go speak at this event no right like right. you're a lot of i believe you know your parents are are sharing their own thoughts on you yep. and they try to protect you right they want to play it safe and i remember I, I go upstairs and i i just buy the plane tickets like they, pretty much all the money i had i, I was doing some marketing closing some deals with like, local businesses to right. do their facebook or instagram management yeah I go upstairs, I buy a plane ticket for my dad and I, and I'm like, we're going. I bought the tickets. <laughs> and that was a catalyst for yep. them to That's not good. only say yes, but I remember like that year, year and a half of convincing parent, my parents through my actions that they were finally on board with, yeah. you know, go do your thing. Yeah. And then I remember going into junior and then senior year, senior year, I think I took three classes. I missed 80 something days of high school. Um, going to New York and Miami and LA and all these different events, doing podcasts, like starting my marketing agency and just never looked back. And I think just that level of, you know, for lack of a better term, like delusional optimism mm -hmm. is what I leaned into and that's what created that path. But to the point of, and similar to you, right? It's like, I grew up in an environment where I, I was taking AP classes freshman year and I was going to go to college and it was just that, understanding yeah. as you said board member the the level of freedom it's capped just set me down a different path so yeah i just want to share that with you and i think it's just totally re relatable to that thinking that you had and how a lot of young people nowadays are sort of understanding the world and what are the opportunities and what's actually worth my time yeah um so i think it's important that i speak to this the safety thing that i keep referencing right because yeah. i um I don't, I don't want it to be misunderstood as this is just, a, you know, a guy that's just destructively doing anything and, and, and anything at whatever cost. No, they're like, they're, I think safety is how our brains operate, right? Like you don't, you don't accelerate to a red light, <laughs> right? It's just, yeah. you don't because there's, there's sort of lines and connectivity in your brain that that's not, <laughs> that's not what you're yeah. supposed to do. Right. Um, 
just as you don't stop on the brakes towards a green light, right? So there's these things that we don't want to get rear-ended on a green light, yep. stopping our brakes. We don't want to get hit in an in a intersection by accelerating through a, a, a red light, right? So then, so then what's possible? So then here's where I w- want to sort of open up an alternate reality, if let's just call yeah. it that, right? Um, let's say that red light, right, is in the middle of a farm field, just for ironic okay. purposes. I'm trying to paint something completely different, a completely different environment. Is that red light, does that mean anything anymore? No, it doesn't. Mm. So my thing is that the lines of safety are only as a direct relationship to the environment that it's being played in, which comes back to the flying an airplane. I'm not going to go fly, take my passengers upside down. That ain't safe, right? <laughs> yeah. because, because the environment of that is going to likely cause some serious issues to the body of the aircraft, yeah. right? Yeah. But if I do the same thing up at space, we have no issues, do we? Nope. Right. So it all comes down to the environment. So the whole thing I'm getting at, the stock market's the same thing. The lines that people draw for safety and profit taking mm-hmm. and this and that, it's only going to work if you're in the correct environment. Yeah. So it's all as a, as a result of that environment, what safety truly actually is. It ain't this blanket rule that we all use. I love that perspective. Yeah. Very cool perspective there. Yeah, that's why I talk about it. So the whole delusional yeah. optimism is because in the environment of succeeding, that's what works yeah. for you, and that's why you're here. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm curious, is it a common thing, because I don't know the answer to this, for pilots to be successful in trading stock market? I mean, I, I don't know many pilots, but this idea of safety that you speak of and mm-hmm. the ability to think about things from the lens of a pilot in like a non-emotional way and a, yeah. a safety precautions... Are your pilot friends all like traders and experienced or do they want to learn that to be able to apply those, that thinking and methodologies to the market? Or is that just it's a rare 50, thing? 50. Okay. Honestly, it's 50-50, right? Because in order to, again, you have to break a very uh, indoctrinated way of thinking, Yeah. right? Um, but I'll, I'll give an example of why most pilots, for example, that I speak to about the things that I've done and the way you need to think, they lean towards wanting to do this. So when we roll down the runway, just to make it very simple, when we yeah. fly down, take off down a runway, we've got 190 people on board, we're max takeoff weight, right? Um, we have a, a, a decision speed on the runway, okay? It's called V1, okay? And that yeah. V1 speed is if we go past that speed, it's determined that if we were to stop the takeoff for any reason, there is a very, very high likelihood we'll go off the end of the runway, which means that the safer decision is to continue to take off, yeah. right? So my uh, position with all my pilot friends has always been, okay, so there's this, there's this area of, there's this gray area between that V1 decision speed and the moment where the aircraft lifts off maybe five, six seconds later, right? Because usually the rotation happens afterwards. Yeah. Where you're relying on absolute uncertainty to not explode, not hit birds, have engines fall off. You, you can't tell me for real that you can guarantee the safe flight of that body can you and they're like no i can't everything is always based on chance no it's based on faith faith on what faith in the fact that you rely back on your practices like if something wants to happen in that moment of uncertainty from v1 to the decision to the rotation speed i should say you're back falling back on your principles training how am i going to mitigate that if i lose an engine how am i going to deal with that if i if a wing blows up how am i going to deal with that these are trainings that we are relying on so if I can just get you to understand that that environment of uncertainty 
is the stock market. <laughs> and I'm just going to trade you oh my between your decision speed and your liftoff on how to deal with those uncertainties. Why wouldn't you do this? And with pilots specifically, um, they have a lot of time, hotel time, layover yeah. time, right? A lot of the times we're doing what's called deadheading, which is like, you know, we have a, a passenger leg. We're in the passenger seat going to a place to start our flights. We have Wi-Fi yeah. internet. Like there was so much time. And I always, you know, try to help my peers understand, listen, if you want wealth creation, you're the perfect career. You are the perfect <laughs> career because sure. you actually have time. You know, you actually don't have yeah. to make time like a lot of professionals do. Yeah. Yeah. You have that idle time. Yeah, between. absolutely. Uh, that's a great perspective. So yes, pilots do make great traders to answer yeah. your question. They do make great traders, but they have to be willing to truly become conscious to the moment of uncertainties that already exist in their day-to-day -day life. And if yeah. they accept that, then I think they'll accept the fact that they could be trained to learn the stock market as well. Love that perspective. Yeah. Very cool. It's, I could ask you so many questions about just flying <laughs> right now that I'm yeah. interested in, but a couple more questions before we wrap up. I mean, when you look back on your life, so you still live in Canada full time. Yes. You travel a lot. Yeah. What is your day-to-day -day, i know we talked about this a little bit at yep. the beginning now but what does your day-to-day -day look like and what do you love to do yeah so my day-to-day -day, if it depends on if i'm flying or not okay because if i'm flying there's a different routine yep if i'm coaching my clients there's a different routine if i'm tapping into my preparing for a tour there's a different routine right because there's different day-to-days so i almost live three different realities i feel like right but I'll try to sort of summarize the, 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 the key yeah. points of all, all of them, right? So like I said to you, about two and a half years ago, I, I started really re-looking really at health differently, right? Well, obviously, I put on a lot of weight, uh, you know, working through pain and stuff. So I started discovering, okay, where does this come from? So the first thing I like to do in the mornings now, right, is I usually start with a green juice. It's kind of funny, okay. but it's this green juice. Which one do you know? It's a kale, spinach, okay. cucumber. Oh, so you make uh, it. Yeah, yeah, and, okay. and, uh, and lemon and ginger, okay? Love that. So these five things. And, and what it is, this green juice, even if it necessarily doesn't, you know, lead to weight loss, what it is is a win that I start with in the morning that is like, hey, you know what? I took my health seriously from the first thing that I did when I woke up, yeah. right? And then from that point forward, it really depends what's next. If I'm going to go flying, right, typically um, it's, it's, you know, look at our flight plans and looking to see what the weather and all the standard yeah. things that we as pilots look at before we accept the flight assignment. If it's drumming, meditate, you know, um, I don't have stage fright, but I, I when I, is that a way of saying you have stage fright? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you this. When I step on the stage, yeah. <laughs> you feel an energy, man. For sure. Like there is a wave that just hits you and yeah. it's especially when you're about to start. So, um, I just, I like to have the ability to have just practice meditation because if I carry that two, three minute meditation practice into when I walk onto the stage, I was able to isolate any any thought that came mm. up of if I'm going to screw up or any mistakes. Yeah. You, you're, you still feel that as a pro, right? So you don't want to screw up, especially when you're a pro. Expectations are even higher, right? Yeah. Um, and then if it's to step into to do like coaching clients or I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one calls with my clients um, because oftentimes money, people don't want to talk about their struggles and their pains, right? So I do a lot of one-on-one -on -one and help yeah. them through those pains and see them differently and reflect on a lot of the pains I've had to work through and how I've done that. Um, because I'm going to walk into somebody else's disturbed world, let's just call mm -hmm. it that. Um, it's important I get centered. So, um, centering for me is if I can get a workout in the morning, yeah. 
Um, I love pushing weights. I might not look like it quite yet, but I yeah. promise you underneath all Absolutely. this, there's probably a very strong sure. body. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah, push weights. Uh, go on. Uh, I, I like to walk fast on, on the stair, Stairmaster. Mm-hmm. I do it for like five minutes and I'm dying. Okay. But um, but yeah. still, I, I, you know, I try to push. And, and I don't try. what I don't do is I don't push beyond five minutes. But if I can do 510, I increase the speed. Yeah. So I stay yeah, at five yeah. minutes. Try to keep the body like in a state of constant discomfort Absolutely. while also progressing limits. Um, love yeah. that. Those, those are my routines. Uh, randomly. I, I, I love that. No, <laughs> yeah. that, that's great. I think yeah. like that the meditative yeah. side of that, um, has that always been a practice or like, when did you start adopting that when it comes to like, whether that's before calls before the stage? Um, and what does that time do for you? If you had to really pin yeah. it. Meditation for me, honestly, dude, is just, I, I realized that I was holding a lot of pain in my life. Right. And it was a lot of unresolved, I think, unresolved emotions through probably loss and just the strange things that come as, a, as about of being a young kid that's got to figure their way out. Right. Yeah. So um, once I realized the power of meditation and how you can like observe a thought <laughs> and not react to that thought, just the basics of that, uh, it really flipped everything around for me and with everything, like even to the point of like, you know, food cravings, that's a thought. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. it. There's nothing more than a thought, right? It might be a feeling in your stomach and stuff, but you have the power to not yeah. react to that thought, right? So once I start seeing, like, start taking health more seriously in my life and, um, you know, turning things around, for lack of better terms, right? I'm still not done, but turning things around, meditation became an important part of it. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you follow any meditation practice or, like, use any apps or guided meditations or... No, all no. I do, literally, it's it. super, yeah. it's super simple. I'm all about keeping it super simple, yep. <laughs> man, okay? I literally just envision an empty box, and I any thought that tries to, you know, come in my mind, I envision that as a circle that's trying to enter the box, and I just mm. bounce it off the box. And I'm <laughs> just focusing great. on that black box. That's it. There's nothing else. And I, sometimes I hold the fingers just for the heart rate to feel it, to kind of yeah. feel the pulse of being alive, but that's it, man. That's great. I yeah. love that. Well, one more question before we wrap up. Sure. Here. Just reflecting on your journey. I mean, well, first of all, for this being your first podcast, this has been absolutely incredible. <laughs> so epic. Thanks. I've learned so much from great. you. And I know the audience has as well. Um, but if you were to go back and give your younger self a piece of advice, life, business, both, what would that advice be and why? Okay. Um, the number one advice is if you've got a vision, it's yours. Keep it. Keep it sacred. Work on it. And don't stop till you have it. Why? Because I think that our imagination is almost our gift, right? To pursue a thing that makes sense to us, right? It doesn't have to make sense to your parents. It makes sense to your friends. Yeah. It doesn't have to make sense to anybody else, right? But if it makes sense to you, go after it. I love that. Because that's what I did. For me, that was literally trading, flying, playing music. And nobody <laughs> believed in that in the beginning, right? Right? Yeah. But, but here I am, and that's it. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, Isa, thank you so much for coming on today. Before we wrap up here, I want to give you the opportunity. Where is the best place for, for everyone listening or watching yeah. to follow you, to stay connected with you, and just yeah. to be a part of your journey? You bet. Uh, you know, one of a few places on Instagram, it's at the real Isa Mommy, right? Uh, on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Isa Mommy. And if you just type in my name on LinkedIn, I'm there as well, depending on which genre you're yeah. in on social media, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'll yeah. be sure to link that all down below. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks. It has been an absolute pleasure. And if you're watching and you made it this far, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe. Go check out Isa on all social platforms, and I'll talk to you guys soon.